we're in Luke chapter number two. And uh, last week we talked a little bit about how to have peace uh, when we're waiting on God. When it feels like God is silent, we said that even when God feels silent, that does not mean that he is absent, uh, that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Uh, But I'm sure all of us can probably relate to this that there are some times when it it feels like we have been just waiting on God so long that God has just let us down. You ever get there? You just feel like you've been waiting on God so long. Maybe you've been praying for something. Maybe you have been believing that God is going to work in a certain way. And it just feels like God has disappointed you. And so we're going to talk about that today. What do we do? What do we do? How do we have peace when we feel like God has let us down? Well, look at Luke chapter number two. And again, uh, we said last week that there's that period in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that intertestamental period, 400 years of silence where God does not speak, where he does not uh, give any visions or prophecies. Uh, God is not speaking. There is no inspired scripture. And it's 400 years since the Jews had heard from God. And so now their first, the the first uh, speaking of God to the Jewish people as a whole, obviously we know he speaks to Mary and Joseph and and, uh, and Zacharias and Elizabeth. But the first time that God will speak to the Jewish people as a nation, he comes to those shepherds in the field and uh, taking care of their flocks. We know the whole story. But look at Luke chapter number 2 and look at verse number 10. Familiar words, but look at the message that the angel says to these guys. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. Good tidings, good news, the gospel. This is the first proclamation of the gospel Uh, from God to man. Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And I love how when the angel tells the shepherds that God has come to earth, that he says, I've sent you a savior. You know, if if we if we needed as 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 mankind, if we needed advice, God would have sent us a counselor. Uh, if we needed education, God would have sent us a teacher. If we needed to change the laws of society, God would have sent a politician, a ruler. And certainly Jesus is all of those things. But because our greatest need, uh, the greatest need of humanity is forgiveness, it's hope, it's healing, God said, I'm sending you a Savior. A Savior has come to you, which is Christ the Lord. Uh, verse uh, 12, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now that word, that word sign is significant. That that's, uh, means an object that conveys a meaning. There's a, there's a reason behind why God is doing this this certain way. It's sending a message. And so when God says a Savior has come to earth, He is not saying that a king has come. Uh, He's not been born in a palace. He's not dressed in purple linen. He doesn't have a glowing halo floating over his head. Uh, This is the sign. This is the meaning that I'm giving into you. Uh, The Savior is a baby that is being born in a basically a hollowed out cave, very similar to what they would have buried people in, very similar to what Jesus was buried in. 
in the garden after he was crucified, uh, and he's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, which were strips of clothes very similar to the strips of clothing, uh, strips of cloth that Jesus was wrapped in when he was buried. And so there was a reason behind all of this, and God says, I'm sending you a Savior, and I want you to know that when you see him this way, in this place, there's a reason behind it. And then, of course, we see, <coughs> excuse me, uh, in verse number 13, in verse number 13, uh, of Luke chapter 2, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host glorifying, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good will toward men. And so the angels, they hear in Luke chapter number 2, they're, they're, they're giving that same song, that same worship that the angels and the hosts of heaven are giving when we read about in Revelation, in glory and honor and power and praise be unto the Lamb that was slain, that's born here, but that was slain from the foundation of the world. And worship is given uh, to Jesus. But then the angel says, or the angels, I should say, they say, Peace on earth, or on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now we're going to look at the story, uh, the Christmas story, and try to get real literal with it. Real, real, we're going to get down to the gritty details. We're going to remove uh, what we see commercialized. We're going to remove what we see at the end of, uh, you know, of Christmas movies. We're going to remove what we see in nativity scenes. We're going to remove what maybe has been in our mind for so long. And we're going to look to see... The, the Christmas story as it literally was, as we find it in the Bible. Because I think that as we look at that, we're going to have to ask the question, are we going to see peace on earth? The angel said there would be peace on earth because Jesus had come. But when He is coming at this very moment, is that what we're seeing? Are we seeing peace on earth? And I think as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, it's probably the same as what many of us have seen at different points in our life. It's anything but peace. And so today, uh, as we finish up our series, Missing Peace, we're going to find out how we can have peace when we're disappointed by God. And so let's pray, and then we'll jump into this. Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we know that you are good. Uh, Lord, we know that your ways are perfect, uh, that you have a plan and a purpose for each of us. Lord, that you will receive glory in that uh, Lord, your will is sovereign above all. And, and Father, I pray that uh, as we gather together today, Lord, I know in my own life I need to be reminded that, uh, Lord, uh, even if I can't understand your plan, I can still trust your purpose. Lord, I, I know that even when I don't see how things are working out or that they are even working out, that you are still in control. God, I pray that for each of us that are here, that are dealing with disappointments or things that we're frustrated with or circumstances or situations that aren't what we'd planned on. God, I pray that you please, instead of just holding on to those and looking at those, I pray that we would look to see from your word how you are in control and how you're working all things together for good and that how you have a plan and that you are going to be glorified through all of it. God, I pray that you please speak to us. I pray that you draw us close to you today. Be glorified by all that happens. We ask this in your name. Amen. Again, when we look at the Christmas story and strip away everything that we think we know about it, if you look at it as it is, not just a story in the Bible uh, that movies have been made about and that we see pictures of, it's on the front of Christmas cards, and we've got nativity scenes all over our house that look pretty and cute and 
you know, that they make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. But if we look at the Christmas story as it actually is, it is really a heart-wrenching story when you think about it. If you go all the way back to the beginning, it is, it is a, it is, it's a story, honestly, that was made for a soap opera. Uh, it is a heart-wrenching story where a young couple navigates feelings like betrayal, deceit, uh, relational devastation. And again, these are not just names. This is not just a story. These are actual people that have had to go through uh, these different things. They, I'm sure Mary and Joseph unfairly criticized, hated even, shamed by their families and their community, humiliated. Uh, a young girl that has to go through a traumatic birth, uh, has, to, has to deliver a, a traumatic birth in, in a nightmare situation, and then right after that, they have to run as fugitives uh, from a king, Herod, that's trying to kill them, all because they were trying to do what God asked them to do. All because they were trying to be obedient. And so you think about this, you know, uh, go all the way back to the beginning, even before the Bible picks up. Because the Bible says that Mary was espoused to Joseph. So they were engaged. There was an engagement. So you think, you know, we've got an engaged couple over here. We've got several engaged couples in our class. Uh, you think about that, that moment where you plan that engagement. And those of you that hope to be engaged one day, uh, when, when the guy plans that engagement, I'm sure Joseph had planned that engagement. And he, he took Mary to that special bridge in Bethlehem. And he was going to propose to her. And, and after it happened, it was the talk of the town. And they posted it on social media and Instagram, got record likes and all that good stuff. Um, and he had big plans, you know, together, Joseph and Mary, they're going to get married maybe in a few months, maybe, maybe in May when everything was going to be just right. And the flowers on the hill outside of Bethlehem were going to be perfect. And they were going to have a honeymoon. They were going to go to an all-inclusive resort in Rome and they were just going to have a great time and it was going to be wonderful. They had big plans after they got married. Uh, they were going to pay off Joe's trade school loans, you know, the, the, what he had to take out to be a carpenter and all this good stuff. Uh, they were going to live in an apartment for probably two years. And, and then after that, they were going to save and build their starter home in a nice suburb outside of Nazareth. Uh, I'm telling you, this is, this is how it worked. You have to read in between the lines in the original Greek to find all this. Um, Joseph was going to expand his carpentry business. And because of that, they were going to have to hire him help. And maybe they were going to franchise and start one in a few different cities. And of course, Mary was going to be having babies this entire time. And then right in the middle of that, God interrupts it. God interrupts their plans in the most complicated uh, the most inconvenient, the most untimely, and as we look at it, and I'm sure at times Joseph and Mary thought in the most unfair way. God interrupts their plans. And the angel appears to Mary, and Mary was a young girl, may have even been a teenager at this time still. Angel appears to Mary and, and says, uh, Mary, you're going to give birth to a son. Again, th there's no way. She, she was only engaged. Mary and Joseph were doing things right. They, they had not been physical. And so uh, how was this going to happen? And, and obviously the, the angel said, you're going to give birth to a, a son. His name is going to be Jesus. He's going to be the Savior of the world. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Excuse me? And Mary says, be it unto me. Mary accepts it. 
Mary believes it. Mary allows this to happen. And, and I'm sure that as Mary, who, um, again, had probably done things right, had read the Scriptures, maybe she was one of those few in Israel that held to the Scripture and the belief that a Messiah would come. And she, she read the Scriptures and looked forward to that day. She had been taught by family and friends. Maybe Zacharias and Elizabeth, her cousins, had made sure that she knew the prophecy that would come. And now that it was announced that it would come through her, wow, what an honor, what an amazing things. Uh, what, a, what an amazing uh, opportunity and responsibility that was about to happen to her, not even probably fully comprehend, uh, comprehending all the consequences uh, of society that would happen to her. And, and, and I'm sure probably the first Joseph's going to be so excited. And, and, and can you imagine how that conversation went? When, when Mary tells Joseph, Joseph, you'll never believe what happened today. I got visited by an angel. And the angel said that I'm going to have a baby. And he's going to be the Messiah. And, and Joseph, I'm sure, probably having to take a little time to process that, but when he realizes that Mary is pregnant, regardless of her story of how it happened, I'm sure Joseph was you know, a little confused. You know, he says, she says that the Holy Spirit did this, so, you know, in Joseph's mind, that seems a little impossible. So not only did Mary cheat, but she's also crazy. Um, but this is what Joseph and Mary are having to deal with. Uh, look at Matthew chapter number 1, verse number 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his, Mary, when his mother Mary was espoused, again engaged, to Joseph, before they came together, before they were officially married before uh, they could have that physical relationship she was found with child of the holy ghost so now she's pregnant because of the holy spirit and and again guys if if you know if whether it's your fiance or your girlfriend um if if that was a conversation that you had to field <laughs> um imagine how you would react uh imagine what thoughts would go through your mind okay uh, you know, at the very least, I mean, just immediate ghosting. Uh, we're, not, we're not even going to stay on the friend level anymore, okay? And Joseph has to deal with this. But look at what it says in verse number 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, Joseph was a good man as well, just like Mary, I'm sure, uh, was following Scripture and doing what was right and wanting to do God's will, just based on her acceptance of God, the angel coming down and telling her what was happening. Joseph was the same exact way. Joseph wanted to do things right. Uh, verse eight, uh, 19, And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Put her away privily. Literally, that means to divorce quietly. To divorce her quietly. Now, a question then arises because... I thought that they were just engaged. I thought that she was only espoused to him. I thought that they were still in the engagement uh, process. We well, have to understand when it comes to Hebrew marriages, uh, especially at this time period, there were two different, uh, two different stages for Hebrew marriages. The first one was the Kiddushin, which was the engagement. So you have the Kiddushin, which was the engagement part of the marriage. But that was still considered to be a binding contract. So when somebody was espoused or engaged, it was like a done deal, basically, at this point. 
Like you had signed on the line, you're, you're promised, it's going to happen, it's only a matter of time now. And then you have the chuppah, which was the actual marriage ceremony. That's, that's when everything was complete. That's when everything uh, would be uh, completed. So even if you have, if, if, for instance, Mary and Joseph espouse to each other, they're in the kiddushin part of marriage. Even if Joseph had died, Mary would still have been considered a widow. That, that's just how, how they viewed marriage. And so that's why this betrayal... It wasn't like Joseph and Mary were married in our day where if, some, if this had happened, yes, it would have been very hurtful, but it, it would have been a marriage that was broken, but this is how they viewed it. So Joseph and, and Mary, although they were only engaged in our minds, in their culture in this day and age, uh, this was like they were married. And, and so now when Mary is still picking out wedding colors, she finds out that she's pregnant. And, and they haven't completed that. They haven't gotten to the huppa. Uh, they haven't gone all the way through the process in order for that to be a possibility because Joseph knows we've never been intimate. Again, we've done things the right way. We haven't lived together. We haven't done this. We, we, we've, we've made sure that our relationship is right and honoring to God. And so now he's crushed. Now he's humiliated. Now he has to, has to deal with, with all of the ramifications of what Mary has just told him. Uh, you know, they, they, now they have to worry about, you know, do we send invitations out? Do we call off the engagement? Do, uh, do we, you know, do, do we have to change our plans completely? Do we have to move? You know, this is, this is for Joseph and Mary, this is worse, for Joseph especially, this is worse than public humiliation. This is personal betrayal. Because he, he trusted Mary. He loved her. Um, he had chosen her. He had planned to spend the rest of, of his life with her. And now what? Now what was supposed to happen? And imagine on the other side too, Mary, again, she's a young girl, probably just a teenager. She didn't do anything wrong. She had done everything right. She had been following God. She wanted God's will. She wanted to obey Him. She even received what God was, was, was asking her to do. And now she's, she's her, her, the man that was going to take care of her was considering divorcing her. And if, if Joseph divorced Mary and she had this child, Mary had absolutely no chance in society. She would have been an outcast the rest of her days. Nobody would have taken care of her. Nobody would have taken her in. She would have been living on the streets. Her family would have rejected her as well. This is a big deal for Mary. And so now we've got two people who had plans, and God dropped a big old rock right in the middle of the pond. And things are changing. And it's not how they thought it would go. And I, I wonder, for all of us that are in here, how many of us can relate to that? where we have a certain plan of how things are going to go, and then a bomb gets dropped on it. Things change. Um, you know, we, we planned on finishing high school and going through college and then getting out of college, and, and, and we had a plan of how that was all going to look and work, and, and things have changed. You know, just in the last couple of years, you think about how many plans have changed because of COVID and because of uh, the different situations of society. Uh, maybe we thought we would be married by now, but at this point we realize that we don't really have many prospects, and if they are, ladies don't look around the room. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
you know, we, we just look at the plans of where we are right now at times and we think this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I planned for. This is, this is, this is not what I had hoped for. God, I don't understand what you are doing. And I'm sure that Mary and Joseph were feeling the same way. So, real quick, as we finish up here, let me give you two truths to help when you don't understand. Two truths when you feel like you're disappointed by God. How do we still have peace How do we still trust? How do we still follow? First of all, number one, you don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. Now, I said I was going to give you two truths. I didn't say they were going to be easy to accept. You don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. Uh, Look at Proverbs 19 and verse number 21. The Bible says there are many devices... That word devices is plans. So there are many plans in a man's heart. We have many plans. You have a plan for what you're going to do this afternoon, or you're going to come up with one. Uh, you have a plan of what, you're, what you hope to do to some degree over Christmas break. Uh, you have a plan of you know, what classes you're going to take next semester, hopefully by now. Uh, you, you have a plan. Okay? We all have plans. The, the, there are many plans in man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel, that's also plans, of the Lord, that shall stand. That's going to be what happens. Devices, those plans, that, that's what we come up with, what we figure out, what, what we try to, to work together and make happen on the fly and, and work together in our very limited understanding and comprehension and strength. Those, those plans, they're, they're, they're loosely put together and, and probably going to fail at some point, but the counsel, those plans, their purposes, they're established. The, the counsel of the Lord, that's truth. There's a big difference between the two plans. Um, people's opinions can't stop the, the plans, the purpose of the Lord. Uh, a pandemic can't stop the purposes or plans of the Lord. Disappointment can't stop or hurt the, the plans or purpose of the Lord. You know, when you, when you read Hebrews chapter number 11, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier. You read Hebrews chapter number 11 through the hall of faith, all those people that, that have faith, all those people that, that, uh, that acted because they had faith, did they understand God's plan? No. They didn't understand God's plan every time, but they believed that He had a purpose, and that's what they did what they did. Uh, Noah, I want you to build a boat because it's going to do something called rain. Water's going to fall from the sky. Okay, God, I believe you have a purpose. Uh, Abraham, I want you to do something that nobody does this day and age. I want you to leave your homeland and go miles and miles and miles away and completely start a new, uh, start your family in a brand new place. Because I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Okay, God, I believe you have a purpose. Uh, Moses, I, I want you to, even though you are a part of the royal family of Egypt right now, I want you to go back to your people because you're going to lead them out of Egypt. Okay, God, I believe you have a purpose. Uh, Joshua, I want you to go into the promised land that nobody else believes around you that you're going to be able to conquer, that I'm going to give it to you. I want you to conquer uh, Jericho by just walking around it. Okay, God, I believe you have a purpose. See, they, they didn't have to understand or see God's plan. They believed that he had a purpose. Uh, in fact, uh, Hebrews, I don't have it for the screen, but Hebrews chapter number 11 
If you want to turn there, Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 13, I'm going to read it. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They, saw, they knew that God had a purpose. They, they understood, they believed God's promises and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They believed that God had a purpose. You don't have to see God's plan. You don't have to see how it all works together right now because chances are you're not. But you have to trust that God has a purpose. Mary and Joseph's plans were wrecked. Those plans that they had when they first got engaged, when they first met each other, if it was love at first sight, all of those plans were done now. Now what? Look back at... Matthew chapter number 1, look at verse number 20. Because, again, as Joseph's trying to figure this all out, God says, Joseph, I'm going I'm to come and I want, I'm going to give you a glimpse of my purpose. You don't have to understand my plan. You just have to trust me. Here's my purpose. While he thought on those things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus... For, here's the purpose. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. Wait a second. So God, in the middle of this horrible mess, as we would look at it from the outside, is doing something. God has a purpose. He says, Joseph, I want you to follow my plan because here's my purpose. Mary's going to bring forth a son, and I am going to bring a Savior that will save His people from their sins. And that's what we need to understand with number two. Your disappointment with God might actually be a divine appointment from God. Your disappointment with God might actually be a divine appointment from God. That, that's, that's, that's where faith comes into this. That's why, that's why we see that in Hebrews 11. Because faith is there to see what is not there yet. We believe that God has a purpose even if we cannot see this. We have to believe that God has a purpose in this, plane, in this pain. Uh, see, all of us, again, have plans You know, as, as we're growing up. When you... When you uh, when you were getting ready to graduate from high school, you had a plan. You know, you're going to, well, maybe some of you. Uh, you had a plan. You're going to get out of high school, and you were going to go to college, and, and you were going to graduate, you're going to start the next phase of life. And even if it's not detailed, you, you still you think you have an idea of how it will happen. And, and probably by now, uh, most of you have figured out that it doesn't happen that way in most cases. Uh, your plans, they don't usually work out. Even the best laid ones. You know, and the, the question we can ask many times that we, we can become disillusioned with what the reality is around us because we can ask the question, what would have been different if things had gone according to my plan? If everything had happened exactly the way it was supposed to, the way I had planned it out, how would life be different? You know, uh, just speaking from personal experience. At this point... In the year, there were some things in, whether it was my ministry, uh, opportunities in my personal life, there were some things that I had planned out at the beginning of the year or throughout the year that I thought would be different right now. I, just to be honest, uh, there were some things that I thought in life would, be, would have happened, would be happening, 
I thought it would be different right now. And we have plans, but it doesn't always work that way. Uh, some things don't go according to plan, and we have to remember that that disappointment with God when things don't go according to our plan might actually be a divine appointment from God. We, we see this with Joseph and Mary because even though, even though they are dealing with all of this disappointment just in their relationship with having uh, to have this baby and the shame and humiliation from society and family and friends around them. And then another bomb gets dropped into their life because old Caesar Augustus decides to send out this decree where everybody's got to leave their homeland and go uh, or where they live and go to their hometown for a census. And so now Joseph and Mary have to pack up everything they own. They have to travel. And, and, and let me say, okay, if you've seen, whether it's on a movie or on a Christmas card or, uh, you know, in, on your, in your nativity scene, you see Mary and Joseph on the little donkey, and it looks so cute. You think, oh, I could probably do that. Uh, can I put that to rest right now about exactly what they had to deal with, okay? Because it was a 90-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem where they had to go. Uh, a grueling uh, trip that took well over two weeks. And not only that, understand, Joseph is a working man, and so for two weeks, Joseph is not going to be working, which means there will be no income. And right before a, a wedding, those of you that are engaged, I, I would not suggest taking off work uh, that long before you get married. Uh, so there's extra pressure that's on Joseph right now. They have to travel through the Judean desert, where at night, this time of year, it would probably snow just about every night. They have no shelter. They have no way uh, of really protecting themselves because at one point they'll have to go through the, the valley of the Jordan River, which was one of the most terrifying parts in that entire area. It was a wooded part uh, that had a lot of great hiding pot, uh, spots for thieves and robbers. Uh, you know the story of the Good Samaritan. That's probably where that would have taken place. And Joseph would have to defend his wife. He'd have to fight off bears that existed there. He had to fight off wild animals. He would have to fight off uh, wild boars, which I've never had to experience that, but I wouldn't recommend tangling one, one of those. Um, and so they're on this journey for two weeks. All of this while Mary is very pregnant and she's riding on a donkey, uh, which if you've ever ridden on a horse very long, okay, uh, that, that gets old uh, after a while. Imagine it being on a little tiny donkey um, and you're pregnant. And then they get to add Bethlehem and there's no such thing as Hotels.com so they haven't been able to call ahead and reserve a room. And so in spite of all of this, Mary's, Mary's spent over a week on a donkey's back. She's probably getting ready to go into labor at this, this time. And so... Uh, you know, Joseph is trying to do everything that he can, and so he, he finally negotiates to where they can go and be in a barn at some inn. And this is not, you know, this is this is not the the uh, the home channel where it's like shiplap and everything. No, this is nasty, dirty uh, cave with animals all around. It was not cleaned up, hey, if you know what I mean. Uh, and Mary's about to have a baby in this situation. She's going to give birth in a horrible. Uh, situation and circumstance. Then after she does, no one's there except for Joseph. Uh, dirty shepherds are the first ones to visit to want to hold the baby. Uh, that's exciting. And before they can even decorate the nursery, they hear that Herod wants to kill the baby and they have to go to Egypt. 
This is the situation that they find themselves in. You know, we started out by saying the angels said there would be peace on earth. This sounds more like hell on earth. Not a good situation. Now fast forward 30 years. Because Mary will continue this journey and she'll be standing in front of a cross and the girl who three decades earlier said yes to God's plan will look at the son that she delivered in those horrible circumstances and situation and she will see him strict stripped naked, beaten beyond recognition, doesn't even look like a person, and she will probably in her heart be thinking again, this is not what I had planned. This is not what I had planned. His, his suffering, hearing him say, Father, forgive, into your hands I commit my spirit, she watches him die again from Christmas all the way to the cross. We have to understand from this story that even though we don't understand God's plan, we can still trust that he has a purpose. Again, the story of Christmas is not one that anyone could have planned. God became a man, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes, that, that sign that the angel told the shepherds that would be the same things that were used to prepare his body for burial. He was a Savior born to die, but he would be the Savior who would rise again. Again, Mary and Joseph had a plan. But can I say this, okay, and I think this is the last thing on your handout there. Mary and Joseph had a plan, but God had a purpose. God had a purpose. And can I say that when we look at the Christmas story, and you look at it in a new light now as you read it, and you see what it actually meant for those that were involved, can I tell you that God had a purpose, and you were that purpose. I was that purpose. Whatever you want to write down on that line, it was me, I was that purpose. Make it personal. God had a purpose, and you were that purpose. He shall save His people from their sins. So, can I just encourage you, if you are having, if there's a change in your plans that you don't understand, your plans aren't working out, can I just encourage you, that your disappointment with God might actually be a divine appointment from God. Can, can I just ask you to trust? Can I just ask you to wait? Uh, can, can I ask you to, in faith, believe that the counsel, the plans of God are going to come through? You don't understand, have to understand the plan, but trust that God has a purpose. And if you do that, there's peace. There is peace.